0: Let's stand together, please, as we reverence reading God's Word. We're going to look in 2 Kings chapter 17 tonight, a message I call The Power of Turning. The Power of Turning. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, According to all the law which I commanded your father and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. The power of turning. It would have been such a simple thing to turn around. We were headed to the Gulf Coast some time ago and when I got to Pine Bluff... I don't know exactly what happened, but for whatever reason, instead of getting on 65 and heading on straight down to Dumas, I managed to turn off toward Warren instead. Now, it would have been easy, easy to turn around at that point, but... I'd already gone several miles before I realized I wasn't seeing all the familiar scenes that I was looking at. I mean, there was supposed to be a love station here somewhere, or uh, maybe that was even before the love station was there, Uh, you know, and I should have been smelling the paper mill at some point in time, but uh, instead we were just headed on the wrong direction. I figured that out. It would have been easy to turn around, but I really didn't want to. Instead, uh, we took an alternative route and then another <laughs> and then another. And uh, we finally did make it to Dumas, so I guess we could say all's well that ends well. But it would have been so simple to have just turned around when I realized I was going the wrong way. But of course, the problem with turning around when you're traveling is that. It's going to take you just as long to go back as it did to get to wherever you were going. And we just don't like doing that. We don't like having to turn around. It's even more difficult when turning around is not just turning your car around, but turning your life around. That's when things get really difficult. And the hardest part of that, of course, when we need to make a change in the direction of our life, is admitting that we ever took a wrong road to begin with. Especially if it's involving years of bad choices, years of bad behavior, years of sinful activity that we'd now have to admit was all wrong and we shouldn't have done it. That's tough. Tonight, then, we're going to consider... Six different occasions, all of them out of the Old Testament, when God specifically called to his people to turn around. Turn around. And the first one is in our text, of course, in 2 Kings chapter 17, where he told them specifically, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments. And so interwoven in that story then of turning around was that they needed to turn to something different. And what they needed to turn to that was different was instead of rebelling against God and instead of disobeying God, they needed to turn to obeying God. What a concept. Turn around. Turn to obey God. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 17 at the context, you'll see uh, that it was set in the midst of the time when the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten northern tribes, was carried away captive by the Assyrians. But before that happened, God sent them prophets over and over again. God sent preachers to them to give them the message, you need to turn around. Interestingly enough, God was speaking to them, the things they needed to turn from, things they needed to turn around from, was the practice of idolatry. And what's interesting about the passage there in 2 Kings is that God spoke of the things, listen, they were doing in secret. Now, can you imagine God looking down from heaven and saying, let's talk about your secrets. See, they're not hidden from God. Now, they were going to great lengths to hide them. But who were they hiding them from? Each other, of course. (laughs) Uh, That's why the, the groves were so popular. Well, they would go into the trees and they would put up a graven image there, uh, uh, and uh, that is a carved image. Uh, that they would look very much like the totem poles that we would find in, uh, in West, and we associate with uh, the Native American culture. Uh, this is what they were uh, hewing out and putting up then in these groves, these places where they were surrounded by thick timber, where they could go in there and sin in secret. Other places, they put them was up on the high hills, which seems to be somewhat of a contradiction, except that uh, they would do this because this was not a place that people were, would normally resort to. They were out of the way. God also mentioned their citadels, their fortresses, their towers, so that around the walls that were protecting their cities, they would put idols, false gods, and worship them there always very secretive very hidden and yet the sins that they were committing there were very grievous and god saw them all so prophet after prophet after prophet came to them talking to them about what they were doing in the groves What they were doing on the high hills and telling them, you must not do this. God has told us not to do this. But God didn't just uh, shout out to them, now don't worship idols. Because God said it very plainly. You worship me alone. Don't bow down to any other. You worship me. You worship me. And as is so often the case in life and living, a lot of times if we would just do the right things, of course, we wouldn't be doing the wrong things. We wouldn't even have time or the inclination to do what was wrong if if we were doing what was right. And so God repeatedly offered them a way out. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn to me. But interestingly, when you look in 2 Kings chapter 17, it was was the remnants of the Canaanite culture that God brings up to them. The Canaanite culture was, of course, what these people were doing when God conquered the land. And he sent them there to drive out these inhabitants and, and conquer them all and put them away. But Of course, they never did that. And so... The remnants of that Canaanite culture, the gods that they served, the wickedness that they lived proved to be almost irresistible to the people of God. Yes, there was peer pressure even then. There was pressure to give in to the culture and follow the ways that is going away. And yet the evil way is always, has always been and always will be contrasted with God's good way. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But for now, let's just notice that God talks about how His commandments are not grievous. It may seem difficult to us from time to time to live up to the biblical standards. And it seems that way because it is. On our own and by our own power, we would never be able to do the things that God sets before us that we should do. Thank God we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and working in us. So that he can enable us to do these things that he would have us to do. His commandments are not grievous. I've said this before, but I'll say it again tonight. There's never been a time when I resisted sin and obeyed God and regretted it. Not one single time. Every time that we choose to obey God, we are blessed in that choice, and so there is a turn in the first passage that we see a turn that would call on them to practice obedience. Second, there is a turn regarding political alliance, and that's in Isaiah chapter thirty-one and verse six, where God says, "Turn you unto Him," and of course, that's that's Himself, from whom the children of Israel have deeply. Revolted. I didn't put all of the passage up there for you tonight, but I will talk to you a little bit about it. Isaiah chapter 31 begins with the cry, woe unto them that go down to Egypt and uh, seeking help. That, that's what Isaiah 31 is doing. And he was talking about a political alliance that they had formed with the Egyptians against the Assyrians and others that they thought then that the Egyptians, because they had horses and the Egyptians had chariots, then uh, they'd be able to protect them. And so they had turned to this political alliance in order to gain protection. But interestingly, Uh, God says, uh, your enemies are not going to stand. In fact, Isaiah 31 has a marvelous promise, a time when Assyria would fall by a sword, not of mankind. What an interesting passage that is. And that they shall devour him, so that the enemies of Israel would fall by a sword that was not forged by humanity, but fall they will. Oh yeah, Isaiah 31 is a great, great passage and certainly it has uh, impact, eschatological significance as we like to say it, It that is to say it has to do with the end times as well. Yeah, Isaiah 31, God has promised an ultimate and complete victory over all of the enemies of Israel and that victory will happen. Uh, Israel will have to run and flee to even some promises about Petra and other places. They'll, they'll run to the mountains. They'll find a place where God will protect them. But ultimately, it will be the hand of God that delivers them. But it's not anything new. It was always that way. Their efforts to save themselves, their thoughts that somehow there's a political solution to everything that was going on. That, that was always a tendency among them. And it hasn't gone out of style. I think if we projected our attention, if we took this, and I'm not trying to tell you tonight that Isaiah 31 has some application uh, that God was talking about the United States of America. But I can see an application, a corresponding application of Isaiah 31. Because, you see, if, if we think that we're going to save America by the political process, we need to rethink our thinking. It's not going to happen. There was only one hope for Israel in those days, and there is only one hope of America. <laughs> and that is for us to return to God. That's a revival. You say, oh, it'll never happen, preacher. I, well, uh, I've, I've studied the Bible And I know how things are shaping up and what it looks like. I I know. And we could very well be headed full steam into that final appointment with the judgment of God. That final date with destiny that's called the day of the Lord. And yeah, we'll talk about that later tonight. We may be headed into that. But if we're not, the only thing that's going to turn this ship around... Is a revival. That's what Israel needed. That's what America needs. God says, you turn to him. You turn back to me. You turn around. You turn to everybody else. You've tried everything else. Turn to me. Because you have deeply revolted or rebelled against God. Want to see a New Testament counterpart? Try the book of James, James chapter 4. God says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heavens. To heaviness, here it is. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Yeah. That promise is still in effect today. And so there's a turn relating to our political alliance. There's a turn of practice obedience. There's then the turn of personal satisfaction, I'll call it, out of Jeremiah 25 and 5. They said, Turn ye again now, everyone, from his evil way and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. And go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, To your own hurt. To your own hurt. This was a message that God gave to Judah, the southern kingdom. And though it was similar to the message that he gave to Israel long before, he significantly added this addition in the passage. What you're doing is to your own heart. Today we call this self-destructive behavior. And it runs rampant in our culture. There's a lot of things that we can do that are self-destructive. That is, the damage that's being done to us is not by the government. It's not by somebody else. We're doing it to ourselves. And that's exactly what God said to them. What you're doing is only hurting yourself. It's damaging yourself. It's affecting you. It's affecting the life that you live. It is affecting your family. You're doing this to yourself. You are only hurting yourself. Uh, I remember some years ago hearing a preacher talking about uh, uh, how that people had set themselves out to overthrow or destroy the word of God. And he said, well, you might as well attack the Rock of Gibraltar with a pop gun. I always thought that was a a very vivid imagery. How much damage are you going to do to the rock of Gibraltar with a pop gun? Not much. How much damage are we going to do to the word of God by rebelling against it? (laughs) None. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We're not going to overthrow the word of God. We're not going to overturn his truth or overturn his judgment. Never have, never will. Who gets hurt by that behavior? Do we hurt God? No. Do we hurt his word? No. Do we hurt his truth? No. Who do we hurt? Ourselves. It may not be anybody in this building tonight. Maybe somebody might stumble across this sermon sometimes at home. And and you might listen. Maybe you should consider who you're really hurting by your behavior. And when we find ourselves in that situation and we are provoking God and and turning against Him. And the only one that we're hurting is ourselves, Then there's a simple answer. God says, turn to me. Turn around. Turn from your evil way. And the implication then is that as painful as it has been to fight against God, remember what God said to Paul the apostle. We knew him as Saul at that moment when he struck him down on the road to Damascus. What did he tell him? It is hard for you, he says, to kick against the ox go. And the ox goad, of course, was a conviction that he was feeling in his own heart. Conviction that came from the words of Stephen as they were beating him to death with rocks. Conviction that came every time he had an encounter with any of the apostles and lost again and again and again the rage that it fueled in his heart. It was all there, but what was he doing? All he was doing was kicking against the ox goad. And like any ox who does that, it bloodies his, doesn't hurt the ox goad a bit bloodies its own leg it's hard to kick against the ox goad it's hard it's difficult but as painful as that is all the blessedness that comes when we turn around and turn to God all uh, of those blessings are spelled out for us in Jeremiah chapter 25 God said, you dwell, you live in the land that God has given to you and your fathers and serve him forever. Oh, what a blessing. You can experience and enjoy the blessings of God and be satisfied by them. Then there's a turn of pleasing God in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. Say unto them, God said to Ezekiel the prophet, say unto them... As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? This passage is part of the famous watchman passage in Ezekiel 33. Remember that God said to Ezekiel, I'm setting you to be a watchman for the whole house of Israel. And as a watchman, he had a specific responsibility. He was to stay alert to the impending dangers, to see any threat that might be coming against the people and sound the alarm. And he said, if you see that threat approaching and you sound the alarm, if the people don't respond, then he said their blood's on their own heads. Because you did what you were supposed to do. You did your job. You cried out. You sounded the alarm and they didn't listen. They have nobody to blame but themselves. But, he said, if you see that danger, if you see the problem, if you see something that needs to be cried out against, and you don't cry. And I understand that. Being a watchman's never been a really popular <laughs> job. We don't like watchmen for the same reason we don't like alarm clocks. Uh, a lot of things that we don't like to hear. Don't want to hear. And yet, that watchman, to be faithful, has to sound the cry, sound the warning. God predicted then through Ezekiel that because he knew that Ezekiel was going to be faithful, and he was faithful, God predicted that the people would one day come to him and stand with the question. If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, that is, if it's our if we've sinned and we're paying the price for our own sins, if that's what's happened. And interestingly, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, you might not have known that expression "pining away was from the Bible, but it is, if we pine away in them. It's their way of saying that we waste away. In our sins, what a graphic description! If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Francis Schaeffer famously borrowed that line, or took that line as a title to a book. How can we then live? How can we live? Well. It was there that God would say the words of our text. You tell them how you can live. Because God said, and what a great message this is. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's good news tonight. (laughs) Uh, God, God is not pleased when he sees people die in their sins. God is pleased when they turn From their evil ways and live. When they turn to him. That's what pleases God. If I didn't have any other passage in the Bible. Than to talk about how important turning to God is. This one would be enough. Why? Because God is pleased. When we turn to him. In whatever circumstances those are, whatever situation has arisen in our life, whatever it is that we've done, however far we've gone, God is pleased when we turn from our sin and turn to him. He is not pleased when we continue obstinately and stubbornly down a path of rebellion that's going to lead us to our own death and demise. God is pleased by that. Oh, what a testimony it is. When people turn to God, aren't you glad Jesus told us the story of the prodigal son? Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? We would have never thought that God would be a God who would want run out to meet sinners had Jesus not told us that. How can we then live? We can live by repentance. Because that repentance then pleases God. There's a turn I'll call tonight, the turn of piety in Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Joel chapter 2 famously warns about the day of the Lord. It was quoted from by Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost. uh, The warning about the day of the Lord. We've been living under the looming day of the Lord ever since Jesus came from the first time. And he told us, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. So what he is telling us is that we've been living under the promise of the looming day of the Lord. Simon Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost. I might say tonight, well, was he wrong? No, he wasn't. We've been living in the last days ever since Jesus came the first time. And how long these last days are going to play out, we have no idea. But I personally believe they're getting closer to their fulfillment. There's coming a time that Jesus said when the times of the Gentiles will be over or be fulfilled. We may be seeing that time play out before our eyes. So what do we we do? Well, it's a time, Joel says then, to turn To personal piety. We don't don't hear that word piety very much anymore. But it has to do with the disciplines of our faith. And we call them disciplines for a reason. Uh, Just try to pray for more than about 30 seconds. It's going to take discipline. Sit down to read your Bible. It's going to take discipline. Make a commitment to read your Bible at certain times every day. It's going to take discipline. Along with the disciplines then of prayer and Bible reading, this passage added in fasting and the expressions of mourning. Those come from our repentance. Much like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw a vision of the Lord and he said, What? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And if we ever get down to the end of confessing our own sins, then we can follow Isaiah's lead and confess the sins of our nation. After all, we're part of it. We're part of it, I mean, a part of America. so as we see the approaching day of the Lord, God calls us to turn to Him with all of our hearts and with fasting and with weeping and mourning and praying the disciplines of our faith. And last, there is the turn of promise. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. Isn't that intriguing? I understand what it's like for me to turn to God. But what about God turning to me? Well, the, the implication was that God had turned away from them. OK? And in fact, when you read the Old Testament prophets and you see them, they, God would say that exact thing to him over and over again, how that they prayed, but it seemed like the heavens were brass, that God was not hearing, God was not answering. But what a great, great passage this is. You turn to me, God says, and I'll turn to you. Our faithful Heavenly Father will keep that promise every single time that we turn to Him. Every time that we turn to Him in sincerity, turn to Him in repentance as the New Testament calls it. We turn to Him. God says, I'll turn to you. In a practical way, listen to me tonight, that means that God never turns his back on a penitent sinner. Never. Turn to me, God says, and I'll turn to you. Six times in the Old Testament, and there are actually others, but I... Picked out these, and I'll admit I did it a little bit randomly tonight, but not altogether so. Six times God says, You turn to me. Turn around. Turn around. Oh, but it's hard to turn around. Oh, but the benefits are so incredible. Turn to me. And where this starts, as it always does, is it starts within our own circle. It starts with me and our own hearts. But then we can also pray for our nation. You say, well, I don't know how to pray for our nation. Let me give you a good prayer to pray. Lord, may our nation turn to you so that you can turn to us. Let's stand together, please.